You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. All right, good morning. My name's Alan. I'm one of the pastors here. Really glad that you're here hanging out with us this morning as we get the time to uh, talk and share and look into God's Word uh, together. For those who don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, the way I, you can kind of just sum up my, my biggest role is I, I work in our life groups. So anywhere from helping people uh, get into new groups all the way to training up and developing new leaders so we can multiply and plant new groups. I'm kind of the, the life group guy. Uh, our, our goal, what we want to see happen, is we want to see Columbia and the surrounding area saturated with life groups in every neighborhood, little Jesus-centered families on mission throughout. And so we want to continue to grow in that. Uh, what I would say for you, if you're new and you're not in a life group, I encourage you, go ahead and sign up, get plugged in. We'd love to get you uh, around community, people who love Jesus, who love one another, uh, and help you grow in that as well. Uh, real quick, before we jump into our text this morning, I want to give you a quick spotlight. One of the things we like to do is just share some stories about what's happening in and around our church family. Uh, today, I want to share with you about our Serve the City partnerships. Uh, one of uh, our partnerships is with Transitions. It's a local homeless shelter over here. Um, kind of the idea behind our Serve the City partnerships is we have six partnerships in the Columbia area and we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus serving uh, and building relationship with some of the most vulnerable and marginalized people in our city. And so that's why we're partnered with Transitions. We're working with people who find themselves in a homeless situation. We want to honor them. We want to serve them. We want to dignify them. Uh, and ultimately, what we would love to see is we want to invite them to become part of our church family. Uh, and so we've been doing this for a few years now. We've had a lot of uh, time serving and building relationships, and we've recently had the opportunity to build in welcoming residents here. So we developed a transportation team. Uh, uh, some of you may know this. We have a beautiful midtown green van uh, driving around, and we utilize that van uh, to bring residents around midtown. So uh, we use it at recovery on Monday nights as an opportunity to bring people around. Our, Monday, our Wednesday morning Bible study, we uh, transport folks here. On Sundays during the 9 o'clock, uh, we transport uh, folks here. In fact, uh, we've created a life group uh, that meets after the gathering twice uh, a month so that we can be in community with folks from transition. And our ultimate goal as they transition out of their current situation, that they would also transition into one of our life groups. Uh, we are a better church family when people in a homeless situation are hanging out and with us. God both uses us in their life and uses them in our life. So I want to thank you if you've been given generously uh, to the mission of God through Midtown. Uh, we are able to do things like that uh, because of your generosity here. And this kind of sets us up good for where we're going. Uh, today we are in a series called uh, in Colombia as it is in heaven. And basically what we've been doing during this series is we've been looking at us becoming a compelling people in our city. And as we grow and become a compelling people, it brings heaven to earth. 
And that's what we want to see. And so our practice today that we're going to be talking about is serving. What does it mean? What does it look like when we are serving, pouring ourselves out for one another? So as we get started, I'm going to go ahead and give you my punchline. I'm going to give you where I'm going to land, just so that thread is in your mind. As we work through the passages, as we work through our content, you know exactly where I'm trying to get. So our goal uh, today in, in the time that we spend together is we want to grow into becoming a people who enjoy doing what others need. We want to become a people who enjoy doing what others need. The Bible is calling us as Christians to follow in the way of Jesus and become a people that image the life of Jesus. So in Hebrews it says about Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. This is the way of Jesus, and we're following in his example. So how do we become a people who enjoy doing what others need even at a cost to ourselves? even at a cost to ourselves. So I'm going to pray for us, uh, and then we're going to jump into Romans chapter 12 uh, to unpack some stuff there. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you. As we are just even looking at where we're going, uh, this idea of us becoming a people who serve, a servant identity marking all of us. God, the, the reason that we're going in that direction is because we're trying to follow you. You, the God of the universe, came in the form of a servant. And you've served us. You've lowered yourself to elevate us. And now we are adopted into your family. And God, we want to mimic and image you in the city around us. God, we know what we want to see happen and accomplish is not through my words, but through a demonstration of your Spirit's power. So Spirit of God, we just ask that you would move in us. Help us to better understand who you are and what you've done for us. May the gospel settle deep in our hearts. May our love and affection settle deep in our hearts. And may we be transformed more into the image of your son, Jesus. Um, God, we ask all of this in your name. Amen. So we're in Romans chapter 12. And we're going to start there. Romans chapter 12, we're going to be in verse 9. It starts off by saying, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I don't have time to unpack all of this. These are four sentences that we've just read, but they're pretty loaded with a ton of information. If you want more, we've actually done a whole sermon series on Romans chapter 12. You can go to our website, look at our sermon series. It's called Jesus Centered Family on Mission, a Romans 12 church. Feel free to go. You can learn more about this passage and the, the whole chapter. But I want to focus here. It starts with, let love be genuine. And that's really a almost like a header. It's a summary statement for all the other sentences that follow. Let love be gen- genuine. We are commanded throughout Scripture, to love one another. One of the easiest ways you can describe the whole of a Christian life is love God, love others. Love God, love others. Let your love be genuine. And it's fleshed out in a lot of different ways in this passage as well as throughout the Bible. But I want to hit on one aspect of the way in which we are called to love one another. It's verse 10. 
We are called to love one another by outdoing one another in showing honor. We want to outdo one another in showing honor. The word honor is not one that I think we're very accustomed to. Uh, So I want to spend some time unpacking what does it mean to honor someone? The Greek word for honor can also be translated as value or price. It was originally a financial word. To honor someone was to give them a gift, money, or possession in keeping with their value or status. It's where we get the word honorarium. So you honor someone. And the way we would talk about it is to honor someone is to assign them value or rather to recognize the value that they bring in our community. The easiest way for me to talk about honor is using a contrast of high versus low. When you honor someone, what it means is you're willingly uh, lowering yourself so that you can elevate them. To honor someone is to lower yourself so that you can elevate them. And that's, that's going to be the, the theme, is this idea of lowering ourselves so that we can raise other, others up, to honor them. Another word would be to give uh, deference, and that means to, to give way to or to give preference to. It's this idea, you matter more than me. I'm going to honor you. If I'm here, I'm putting you up here. You're above me. The opposite of honor, a word I think we're a little bit more familiar with, at least in practice, is uh, contempt. Contempt is the opposite of honor. The idea of contempt is we actually uh, elevate ourselves by lowering people around us. So contempt is I'm going to elevate, I'm going to push myself up, I'm going to boost myself on the backs of other people. Whereas honor is just the opposite. I'm going to lower myself so that I can raise people up. Contempt is this idea that people are beneath us, worthless, worthy of scorn. It's a mixture of anger and disgust combined with arrogance. In American culture, we, we kind of get this. Uh, for anybody who's on social media, you get this idea of contempt boosting yourself, looking down. Uh, Part of the way we got there is in 140 uh, characters, or 280 now, I guess, we're trying to get people to like or follow or subscribe. And so what you have is this extremism, uh, and what extremism causes people to exaggerate, to gain attention. They have hot takes. We oversimplify complex issues. uh, and, And what it does is it creates contempt where you're not on my team and we're against each other. But I don't want us to think of contempt as just a cultural thing that's out there. I actually want us to take it inside because I struggle with contempt. I think we might struggle with contempt. It's kind of the the water we swim in. So, so, So just think with me for a minute. How much time, how much mental space How much energy do we use to talk about people who aren't doing it right? Whatever the right is. How much time do we, and energy? Uh, A quick easy one is, uh, I have contempt for everyone else who drives a car when I'm on the road. 
They're doing it wrong. I, I, want, them, I want them out of the way <laughs> so I can go fast. I want to elevate myself. Contempt. It's, it's part of the culture we're in and we're used to. So what does a culture of honor look like? A community of honor is one where value, respect, gratitude, appreciation, acknowledgement, recognition, generosity, and other-centered love freely flow among all members. Sounds nice. You remember our, our goal is that we want to be a people who find joy in doing what others need. We want to be a people who take pleasure in honoring one another. Paul actually says we should make it a contest, kind of a place, playful concept. How might you be in competition with everybody around you? And the competition is, can I raise you up higher than you raise me up? Can I lift you up? Can I serve you? Can I lower myself up in such a way that I'm constantly raising you up higher than you're trying to raise me up? So how do we honor? We honor one another with the first one is our thoughts. I think we got to start there. We got to have the right disposition towards people, a genuine love for one another. It's, it's this idea of a posture. It's how we go about interacting with the people around us we honor them with the way we think. So uh, ways to think about this. Who gets the front seat when you carpool? Who gets the last piece when there's not enough for everyone? Whose voice carries the most weight? This helps you know who you place in honor. Internally, we should be content being last. We should be content with the worst seat. Because we have so much in Jesus that we freely give away the best to the people around us. We're consistently lifting others up. Uh, C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory said, There are no ordinary people. We're never, you've never talked to a mere mortal. To love people with honor, we must rightly view them. We must attribute the right value they inherently deserve as image bearers of God. So the way we start with honoring people is the way we think about them. The second way we honor people is with our words. We honor people with our words. We speak to and about people differently when we honor them. So I grew up, I'm assuming many of you do, in, in a southern household where yes sir and no sir were required. It's a requirement. That is how you speak to your mom, your dad, and your adults and I always kind of thought of it as um, just something I had to do. I don't know. Uh, but I didn't realize that what my parents were trying to instill in me is when you say yes, sir, and no, sir, you are differentiating yourself from the people you're, you're talking to. You're not the same as your mom, and you're not the same as your dad. So when you say yes, sir, no, sir, you're acknowledging you have honor over me. The way we speak to one another. Uh, we see it in the military uh, with pe the way people honor uh, and yes sir, no sir. Uh, you can see it if you're a boss or you've ever been employed by someone else. You speak differently to your boss than you might your coworkers. They did a study uh, looking at people's email response and the higher in authority someone was, the quicker we always uh, respond to their emails. 
because we honor them. They're different. They're not the same. We honor uh, coaches. We honor pastors in certain relationships. Honor is intuitive. But what Paul is saying is, in all relationships, we honor the people around us. We go low so they can be made high. Last one, and this is kind of our focal point for the rest of the sermon, is we honor people with our actions. Not just with our thoughts, not just with our words, but with our actions. We honor people when we serve them. We take a servant posture, a servant identity, and our actions visibly show us lowering ourselves so that we can raise other people up. So the way, some ways you might talk about it is, I'm going to get dirty so you can stay clean. Or our parking team, they may not say this, but in the dead of summer, what they are saying every time they're out in those bright green jackets, what they're saying is, I'll sweat so you don't have to. That's very honoring. Thank you. I sweat all the time. Another way to say it is, we take weight uh, so that we can relieve the burden from other people. We take the heat in order to provide the shade. I love that analogy, the analogy of a, of a tree. Uh, you take all the heat so that everybody underneath you uh, gets the shade. It's a leadership principle, this idea that if somebody has a problem, they can come to me and I'll take the heat and everybody underneath me doesn't have to. What an honoring thing to do. Uh, one personally in my family is I will freeze so you can stay warm. My kids love to swim, and if the water temperature's too cold, dad's in, right? Just all the time. And I, all of this idea, concept of honor, I don't want you to, to get it mixed up because our, our culture is so twisted that a lot of things that are honoring, uh, people have actually view them as patronizing. And I don't want you to get that confused. When I say honor people, what I am saying is it's not that you can't do it, it's that you don't have to. What I'm saying is, I know you can get dirty. I know you can lift this. It doesn't matter. I don't want you to have to. I don't want you to have to break a sweat. I'm going to do it for you. That's me in active service honoring you, honoring one another. One of the best cultures I've ever seen of honor was a place uh, out in Oakland, California. It's a church. If you've been around for a while, you've heard us talk about them. We we're just overwhelmed when we went and just uh, an incredible place of what God is just actively doing in their context. And so one example of their culture of honor that I just noticed was uh, every time I talked with somebody, whether it was the person picking us up from the uh, airport or the people fixing our food, or the people who are hosting us in their houses. You get the, the trend, is people always serving. Uh, I just kept asking questions. My normative question is, well, tell me what do you do? And my implication in that is, tell me how you make money, what do you do for a living? I kid you not, every single person I talked to never shared what they did for a living. They only always said, well, this is how I serve my church family. I'm part of the, the college ministry. I go serve at the nursing home. Oh, I'm me, I'm, I'm part of the team that cleans the building. And they just go on and elaborate, not in a bragging, but it's my honor that I get to serve in this way. So eventually, I'd be like, nah, I know that you do great things at your church. That's wonderful. But like, well, how do you make your money? And they'd be like, oh, I, I work for Google. Oh, I, I work at Pixar. 
You can find my name on the credits of some of their movies. I started my own business and actually just sold it for $10 million. Brilliant people that didn't take their identity from external accomplishments. They gained their identity from, I am a servant and I serve people. They had all the things to brag about. And hey, let's just get real honest. I struggle with this. So we talk a lot about root idols uh, and what motivates our behavior. Uh, I don't know about any of y'all, but I'm a, I have a pretty big approval idol. I like for people. There's others. Thank you. The rest of you. I know there's more of you in here. With an approval idol, I want you to like me. I want you to think highly of me. I want you to honor me. So oftentimes, I'm motivated by seeking out honor for myself, not seeking out to honor the people around me. So let's keep, let's keep pushing it. We're getting this idea of honor, but our goal is we want to follow in the way of Jesus. So let's look at John 13, and let's open it up just a little bit uh, together, and look how Jesus honors people. Let's look at see what Jesus is doing. So we're in John 13, we're going to start in verse 1. Verse 1. Now before the feast over the, of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So context, this is Jesus last meal with his disciples. And on his mind, they just let us know, he knew his hour had come. He knew that he was going to be betrayed uh, in the next few hours. He knew that he would be hanging on a cross not long from now. This is the context in which the God of the universe is operating right now. He knew his hour is coming, and let's see what he does and, and how he, he goes about doing things. Verse 2, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose up from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus takes the role of a servant. Literally, there is no more disgusting a thing that someone could do during this time period. Everyone walks around with sandals. There's dust and dirt and mud and sweat. There's no sewage system. So assuming people are, are covered in uh, all that kind of grossness. Uh, think of Chaco's. You know, like that smell, like that's, this is what Jesus is doing. Like he's getting down there and he, he's saying, I'm going to wash your feet. And, and legitimately in a household, this is the lowliest of lowliest positions. This is reserved for the least servant there is. The God of the universe, knowing he's facing his betrayal and death, takes the lowliest form of servant, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. They react, or Simon, Simon Peter reacts. 
He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do not wash my feet. Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said, all right, uh, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. He still doesn't get it, but Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed, does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And he said, And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, Not all of you are clean. Uh, Peter gets a bad rap a lot of times. Uh, a lot of it's because he runs his mouth. Like he's that external processor who just is going to talk it out. And so Jesus his Lord and Savior, who he has committed his entire life, he's forsaken everything else to follow for years, approaches him and says, I'm going to wash your feet. And I think appropriately he says, nah, you're not doing that. This is the wrong position for you. This isn't what you're supposed to do. If anything, I should be washing your feet. And so Jesus goes on to explain, uh, verse 12, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for, I, for so I am. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus explains his actions. And he even says, why would I, your Lord and master, your teacher, why would I take such a lowly position? It's like he's agreeing with Peter. This, is a, this shouldn't make sense. Jesus uh, though was saying that he was lowering himself so that he could raise them up. He was actually honoring his disciples. Jesus was the one washing their feet. He lowered himself to the lowliest position. Jesus is the one who got undressed so that they could stay dressed. Jesus is the one who got on his knees so that they wouldn't have to. He is the one who got wet so that they could stay dry. He is the one whose hands were dirty and smelly so that they could stay clean. This is the way of Jesus, to love, to serve, to honor. And what he looks at his disciples and says, I do this for your example, because I'm calling you to my way, and you need to follow me. And he's saying it to all of us, follow me in loving and serving and honoring. If you remember back Earlier in Jesus' ministry, uh, the disciples were, had, had a little fight. Uh, and the fight was, who is going to be at Jesus' right and left side? Who's going to be at the place of honor? So they're basically, uh, they knew Jesus was establishing a new kingdom. And they were saying, you know, all right, you're going to be the man, but I'd like to be right beside you, right? And they kind of get into this argument. Uh, two of the guys actually get their mom involved. And they're like, hey, mom, can you go help us get the right place uh, in front of uh, in Jesus' new kingdom? And so there's all this tension is happening. The disciples find out about it. And this is how Jesus responds to them. Verse, uh, this is Matthew 20, 25. You can turn there. It'll be on the screen either way. It says, but Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. 
and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you, you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. The way of Jesus is to love, honor, and serve. Jesus, the perfect triune God, having all power, all authority, knowing all things ever present, the God who created everything with His words, the eternal and forever King, came in the form of a servant. A servant who was going to die in our place. Jesus most fully displayed His love and service and honor on the cross. He gave His life as a ransom for many. Jesus lowered Himself into the tomb so that we could be raised to life in Jesus. Jesus was rejected by God the Father so that we would be accepted by our our Heavenly Father. Jesus took the punishment that you deserve, that I deserve, that we deserve. The full fury of God poured out on him so that we now are set free. It's a scandal. It should should pierce our hearts. This doesn't make sense. How would the God of the universe, the Almighty One who is eternal and created all things, come in the form of a servant and die for me? Me, His enemy, is now made His family because He willingly lowered Himself so that I, we, might be elevated up. This is the way of Jesus For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. On the cross, he suffered the death of a criminal. But but check this out. But ultimately, God elevated him to the highest place at the right hand of the Father. And it says in Philippians that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The way of Jesus is he goes to the cross ultimately to gain a crown. And you know what God's doing right now? He's calling us, you, me, to follow the same path. He's calling us to be servants, to to lower ourselves. Because ultimately we know that one day we will be exalted as sons and daughters and co-heirs with Christ Jesus. And we too now take the way of the cross, dying to ourselves daily, Because we know a crown is coming. Because we follow the way of Jesus. It's it's a posture that should mark us. We are always gaining at God's expense. So now we're always looking at how others might gain at our expense. And, And don't miss this. This is what maturity looks like when we're grounded and rooted in the love of God, that we can freely give ourselves away to other people. Because we don't need anything from others. We don't need the honor. We have everything we need in Jesus. We can freely give it away. 
Our goal is to enjoy doing what others need. This posture of honoring others should mark every area of our life. So as a neighbor, as a student, as a parent, as a husband, a wife, wherever you're at, we're called to honor one another. Parents, let me give you a quick nugget. As you're thinking through this, and hopefully that's what everybody's doing, we're just thinking about how do I honor the people around us with my thoughts, with my words, with my actions. Parents, you might be thinking about honoring your kids and serving your kids. And there's a lot of this that's just very intuitive to apply to parenting. We want to consistently love, serve, honor our kids. One warning for you, parents. If we only ever serve our kids and we actually never call them to serve others, we are, we are misshaping their view of how the world works. So parents, if you only ever love and serve your kids and you don't call them to love and serve others around them, they think the world exists for them. And their posture to people around them is going to expect that others would serve them. And we don't want to call people to that way. We want to call people to the way of Jesus. So let me give you a quick story. I was traveling another time, visiting another church. This one's out, out in Washington, in the state of Washington. And we're staying with a family. I think they were called the Bumpkins. Yeah, that sounds right. Anyway, funny name. But they were wonderful uh, people. Uh, it at this time was just the, the mother, the dad, and they had a 15-year-old son. They picked us up. They took us to their house. They were hosting four of us uh, for about three days. And when we got there, they had a nice cheese plate and maybe some charcuterie and some drinks. And we we're all just hanging out around the kitchen table. It's one of my favorite experiences. Uh, you know, you got drinks and food and good conversation. And we're getting to know them. They're getting to know us. And one thing we started to realize, we've been hanging out for about an hour, is that never once did any of our glasses ever get empty. Never. Because, like the best waiter I've ever seen, anytime someone's glass got about this much in it, the 15-year-old was on his feet saying, hey, do you want more? Would you like more? So after a while, Jay's with me, the guy uh, singing up here. Jay's like, hey, I got three kids, and I just need to know, how does this happen? Like, I don't have a category for this. 15-year-old serving us better than I've been served at most restaurants. How, how did this happen? Because I want my kids to do this. And they just kind of smiled, and they basically said, this is about 15 years in the making. Because we have a value in our family that we would anticipate the needs of others. And so from a very early age, as we practiced hospitality and we invited people in, we are training our kids two questions they should always ask. Does anybody have a need in this room? And how might I be the one who meets that need? They were training their kids in the way of Jesus to honor those around them. What do you need? And might I, as a 15-year-old, enjoy meeting your needs? Parents, this is what we want. This is the way, not, not even parents, for us, we want to enjoy doing what others need. 
And I know in this room, there's some of us who are like, I don't enjoy this. That's fine. God's calling you to obedience whether you enjoy it or not. And so we follow the way of Jesus. We practice our identity as its servants. And we say this statement all the time. The things we do, do things to us. And so as we serve, as we willingly act in love, we wait for our feelings to catch up with us. They'll get there. God will change your heart. Pray about it. God, as I'm serving and I don't want to, this is not a joyful experience. May you change my heart. Let me tell you a quick story about somebody that I've seen God do this incredibly well in our church family. There's a guy in our church named Kenny. Kenny's been around before we officially launched. So we're talking about like 2005, 2006. He's been one of the most faithful uh, people I've ever met. Here's, here first, I'll, I'll give you a funny story about Kenny. Uh, so we used to do a thing called family vacations where we take anybody who was around, we'd go on a trip together, spend about four days together, learning, growing together, building community. And this year we were doing a competition theme and everybody was broken up into different groups. And so you got awarded points for games and all that kind of stuff. And so one of the things that we had uh, awarded people were we had a talent show. We had to do a group talent show. And so their group decides that they are going to do the circle of life Lion King, you know what I'm talking about? This is hilarious. Somehow, Kenny got pegged as the bunny, which I've never seen in the Lion King, but whatever. And uh, they were like doing, like singing Circle of Life, and he's going in a circle, and he literally was hopping like a bunny, and then he'd shake his tail, and then he'd keep going. So I kid you not, every time I see Kenny, and I've known Kenny for a long time, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. But that's not my favorite part about Kenny. One of my favorite parts about Kenny is uh, we were on another retreat with leaders. Kenny's one of our, our Kid Town directors. He's a, a guy in his 30s who willingly serves my kid, your kids, uh, very regularly, loving them, caring for them when he doesn't have to. He, he honors me and my family. Anyway, we were together away uh, at our leader retreat. And we were closing out the last session. We like to just brainstorm on writing on the board. What are we praying for for the upcoming year? And we started brainstorming. I think we got to about three of them. And Kenny raised his hand and he said, hey, do you think we ought to review what we prayed for last year before we move forward and just celebrate what Jesus has done? And I was like, that's great, Kenny. I don't have that. And he's like, well, I do. And he pulled out his phone and he had taken a picture and what I learned right then and there, because I don't keep any pictures on my phone, takes up too much space, right? Kenny had saved that picture in his phone because he was regularly praying for the needs and hopes and dreams of our church family. Uh, you'll see Tim up here in a minute. He's one of our church planning candidates. He's about to, to plant a church in Charlotte, and he was doing an interest meeting of anybody who might be interested in joining that church plant. And all of a sudden, he sees Kenny walking through the door. And Tim knows, uh-oh, Kenny can't go to Charlotte. Alan will be very mad. <laughs> like, that's just, that, that's, that's one of the people who doesn't get to go. Uh, and so he, he walked up to Kenny. He's like, hey, Kenny, what are, you, what are you doing here? And he's like, don't worry, I'm not moving. I'm here to pray. I just wanted to learn about how I could pray 
for you and this church plant. A few weeks ago, I was talking to one of our new members, trying to get them to know know them a little bit better, and they just briefly were sharing me, catching me up on what's happening in their life. And they were saying, hey, I'm about to start counseling, um, but I'm not afraid because somebody in my life group's going with me for the first time. Any guesses? Kenny. I told this in the 9 o'clock, and his life group leader came up to me and said, hey, you'll get a kick out of this. Every single week, Kenny shows up to life group. He asks, has the dog been fed, and has the dog gotten its medicine? And before he does anything else, he feeds the dog and gives the dog medicine. They're not his dog. Every time they finish and close in prayer, Kenny disappears. And he disappears because he goes and takes out the trash and he starts the dishes so no one else has to clean up. I love all of y'all, but Kenny's my favorite. (laughs) Because he takes joy in meeting the needs of people around him. And this is what God's calling us to do. He's calling to us to be a people where our posture is, I am a servant, so therefore I serve. I willingly lower myself so that others might be elevated. I got to conclude here. I got to wrap up. John 13, so still in the same passage, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the call. We love one another. And the way we show love to one another is we honor one another. We willingly lower ourselves so that others might be elevated in our place. We serve one another. And what Jesus is doing is he's creating a people marked by love. A beautiful community tripping over itself to honor one another, willingly washing one another's feet, willingly inconveniencing themselves, willingly laying down their lives, their priorities, and their preferences. This is a beautiful people that God is forming us into. And the reality is, Columbia looks a lot more like heaven when we embrace who God is calling us to be. They don't have a concept for this. This is the way of Jesus. And by serving, we allow others to experience and taste a life in the kingdom. When we show our love through acts of service, We are extending the rule and reign of King Jesus. This is what we're going after. This is who we want to be. I got to wrap up, so here's my quick plug. Uh, We have serving opportunities. We have needs as a church family. Uh, There are needs that happen on Sundays. There are needs that happen during the week. We have our Serve the City partnerships. If you need to uh, practice serving, if this is a means for which you can grow, I want you to go to midtowndowntown.com slash serve. There's a bunch of different opportunities. These are needs we have. And as you are becoming an identity of serving, I want you to take advantage of these roles and opportunities to love and serve our church family and our city. 
because God is creating us into a people that honor one another. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll sing and take communion together. Jesus, thank you that we start with the fact that you served us. That you, the creator, all-knowing, all-powerful, eternal king, came in the form of a servant. And you willingly laid down your life You went to the tomb so that we might be raised to life in you. You took the punishment that we deserve so that we are set free. You were rejected by God the Father so that we might be accepted. God, I pray that that reality and that truth about who you are and what you've done for us would pierce our hearts. That we would love you more. We'd grow in gratitude and thankfulness. And God, that that tangibly it would look like a people who love and serve you and the people around us. God, continue to create us into the people uh, that mirror and image your son, Jesus. God, we need a lot of help. I'm selfish. I want my own honor. And I just have the sense that we all struggle in some way or form like this. And so we need your help. Change us, grow us, mature us. We ask this for our good and for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen.